Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond, I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Welcome to this week's episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. I'm really excited because this week I'm bringing to you Mr. Whitetail, the one and only Larry Wysoon. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing absolutely great, and I really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. Oh, fantastic. I've uh, seen you at many, many of the outdoor shows living here in San Antonio and traveling through Dallas and all or in different shows, so it's always great to catch up and talk with you, see how you're doing, and how did this DSC's Trailing the Hunter's Moon go? We're doing absolutely great right now. Of course, it's running on the uh, Sportsman Channel. Our primary airing time is 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, on Sunday nights, uh, this you know what we do during the first and second quarter. Of course, first quarter is is thirteen brand new shows each year, and we are year round, as I think I mentioned. But uh, you know what we try to do is we try to cover as much of our international with a little bit of of, of a show here and there coming from here either in Texas or somewhere at home, but. Most of our first shows each year during first and second quarter are international, and then we kind of back off that and then go back to spending a lot more time not only in Texas, our home state, where both uh, Blake Barnett and my co-host and I live, but a little bit from far north and occasionally even down into Mexico. But the shows have done extremely well. We're we're very fortunate. We've got some absolutely great sponsors, also some great viewers, which kind of, uh, every once in a while, I'll ask them what they're looking for, and we get a tremendous response that tells me that we've got a lot of folks watching. Oh, yeah. It's it's a really, really good show, and I enjoy the episodes. I mentioned to Blake, it's neat to watch you guys come in and, as you just said, do an, a little bit of international, a little bit of domestic, and just kind of keep it really well mixed up. We get a lot of requests, you know, to do things here in North America. But when you go back, I've been very fortunate. I've been in this outdoor TV show business for a long, long time. Was a host on a lot of different shows, co-host on my shows, own shows previously in the past. And I enjoy some of the outdoor activities that you can do particularly in terms of hunting a little bit of fishing in Africa and Europe and uh, Australia. And I've been very, very fortunate over the years to be on hunted six continents plus a few different islands here and there. And what I've learned over the years is even though when you get right down to it, probably white-tailed deer and black bear, mule deer and elk are, are red and butter, there are a lot of folks that even though they may not be able to go to some of the places that we've been very fortunate to have gone to, that they still enjoy watching them. And that gives me an opportunity when I find that out, you know, try to find out where they'd like to see a show from. And we try to tailor something along those lines to, to go to some of these international uh, destinations. So it works out really well. And doing it that way, we get to use a wide variety of Ruger rifles who happens to be our gun sponsor, and then Hornady happens to be our ammo sponsor. And those two, they're kind of a tremendous combination. They produce guns that are ideal for here in the states hunting whitetail they produce guns and ammo of course too and uh hunting the the dangerous game everything from elephant line to, to buffalo which both blake and i really like to hunt yeah buffalo is on my uh list of animals to to go after and as i mentioned to you i picked up a ruger chambered a 375 in a left-handed model and i'm very excited to get that with the scope mounted and and then go break that thing in well, that 375 Ruger is, is a heck of a caliber to begin with. Of course, the uh, 
the Ruger rifles and the Model 70 Hawkeyes, either the uh, Alaskan, such as what you have, and I have as well too. But I've also got it. In, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got it in a one of the shorter barrel guide rifles. I have used that 375 for everything from elephant on down to in Africa, down to the, the little blue diker that I there this past year, and and I've used it quite frequently here in the states too not only hunt elk and bear but also white tailed deer so when you come right down to it, as far as i'm concerned it's one of those universal calibers universal rounds if you will that uh i mean it's it, it works for the biggest stuff the most dangerous things out there but also for some of the little little bitty critters that are out there as well too well need kind of on that idea if somebody's looking at the ruger line of rifles and this is going to be their first uh, rifle primarily for north american game white tail primarily that Ruger American and maybe a 270 or 308. Yeah, the Ruger American is just an unbelievably accurate rifle. I mean, we've played around with it quite a bit. And uh, to be very frank with you, I saved for years and years going to Desert Bighorn Sheep Hunt. And when I finally had the opportunity to do that, I took a Ruger American and a 270 shooting uh, Hornet Yamo. I mean, this rifle retails the upper end when you find them about 400 a little bit. But if you look real close, and sometimes you can even find it for a little bit less than $400. Extremely accurate, fun to shoot, all those kind of things. For, for whether it's your first rifle or whether it's one that you're going to keep forever and ever and ever, that's a good choice. Here recently, I've been shooting a, a fair amount of the uh, Ruger FTW-SAAM rifles that were developed on the FTW ranch here with, in conjunction with uh, Tim Fallon and his uh, instructors there with the Sportsman All-Weather All-Terrain Marksmanship course that they do. And those, those rifles, I've actually got three right now, those that I've been doing a lot with. One is naturally in a 375 Ruger and the other one's in a 300 Win Mag, and the other one's in a 6.5 Creedmoor. And with those three rifles, I feel comfortable to the point of that I can take anything there is in the world and, and know that I can take them out and using that horny ammo. And recently, we've been using a lot of the uh, Precision Hunter, which is just phenomenally accurate, and also in terms of what it does on terms of performance when it hits the animals. But with those three rifles, they don't feel slighted in any way, farm or fashion, whether you compare them against some of the the custom-made rifles that are out there or some of the other rifle brands that are out there. It's just a, a, an extremely fine, well-shooting, accurate, just easy-to-carry type of gun. And so that's something I think somebody needs to look at, too. You know, if you're looking down the way, is this going to be a rifle that you're going to use the rest of your life? And, of course, both are the uh, Ruger American and that FTW Hunter or some of the other Ruger guns that are out there as well, too certainly fit that bill well now speaking of ftw i ran across a video about a year ago it was pretty interesting and shot up at the ftw ranch want to explain it was dealing with a potential hunting accident that could happen yes sir i'll tell you what we actually we did that show under uh it was aired under uh, hunter's life that i did oh it's been probably that show is probably about five years old now or so and it's been portions of it have been aired and shown millions of times in, in various internet sites and all those. And when, it, when we came up with this concept, we wanted to show that hunting is by far the safest of all the, the sports that are out there. I mean, and when it comes to getting injured or anybody getting seriously hurt. And so we thought, what can we do? But we want to remind people that you have to be cognizant all the time as to where you're, whether your firearm is loaded 
where the rifle barrel is pointed, where your finger is on that trigger, where the safety is on or off or on or not. I kicked around a couple of different ideas, and I came up with this concept. Let's just show potentially what can happen if you don't do that. So I called Dow Spark Club, our title sponsor, and Ruger and Hornady, and I said, look, this is kind of what I want to do. I didn't tell them the exact thing that we were going to try to do all the way through, but wanted to get their blessings before we did it because I didn't want to surprise them with it. So we put together a show, basically, that shows a hunter coming in. We go through some of the training at the FTW, which is beyond, I mean, just the best there is, and set it up to the pretense this guy was coming in as a uh, to try to also shoot an active deer while he was there. So we got Tim Fallon, who is the, the primary involved in all that, to play the part of the guide. Went through all the safety stuff, as I said, got onto an a, uh, access deer up in the hills, and uh, they almost get a shot, and the guy flips the safety off, and he doesn't pay attention to what he's doing to return the safety or to remove the cartridge before moving forward. And Tim goes, come on, come on, let's go. we got to get up there, get up there. They start walking. The uh, the hunter falls, and in the, in the show, it looks like, by God, Tim Fallon is shot in the back. And, of course, he immediately goes down, and, and uh, we had some, quite frankly, used big blood how, how we were able to, go, to, to come up with to, to set it up to where it looked just exactly like Tim had been shot. And amazingly, when it looked that way on the camera, when I was watching Tim as I was running up to help him because I was there as kind of the secondary guide, it looked like Tim was starting to turn pale and things kind of go downhill from there and it gets really, really bad. And you've seen the ending, you've seen how he brought it back all together again. But that show has been, I don't know how many hunter safety instructors have used it. I, if we counted all the views, it would be oh, probably about 1.5 million views of the, on Facebook and some other places. Well, I can imagine. It, it's a strong video. And last year or so when I saw it it was not too long after another accident that had taken place in africa and i said wow not again realized it was uh realized what it was doing and i said wow this is really good this should be shown to to everybody and not just hunter safety because you tend to get a little comfortable around the guns and forget to do some of the basic stuff and that's when somebody gets hurt it it is i mean it's so very easy to get complacent because some of us do spend a tremendous amount of time around guns and that was one of the reasons that we decided to do it where we did on the FTW, where they do so much under training. We wanted to do it in a format, as of course, the hunter safety uh, instructors could use it as well, too. But at the same time, we wanted the general public to see it, particularly those of us who do spend a fair amount of time around guns and say, hey, don't forget, there are some very basic gun safety rules that you follow no matter whether it's the first time you pick up a gun or whether it's the hundredth thousandth time you pick up a gun. Yeah, so I, I will, in the show notes for this episode, I'll have a link to that video because I, I encourage everybody listening oh, to go out and check it out, uh, as well as your website and, and Ruger. And So now as we enter 2017 and we're getting going, what's your vision? Where is DSC's Trailing the Hunter's Moon headed? What what are you guys looking to do? Well, back up just a little bit. In 2004, I wrote a book called Trailing the Hunter's Moon. It did extremely well and won all kinds of literary awards against things like baseball, football, tennis, golf, which really thrilled me. But I've always liked that statement because that's basically what I've done most of my life is trail the hunter's moon throughout the world and turned it into a TV show. And we had it for about three years where we had, where I did a show that where Blake Barnett, who's now my co-host, was my primary cameraman and, and field producer. And finally said, okay, Blake, we're going to take this to 
a year-round show, which we did last year, and, and of course on to again this year, and, and will again next year as well too. The, the vision that I see of this the show, quite frankly, over a period of time, is to uh, for Blake to play a little bit larger role as we move forward in different things. Right now, he's doing a lot of things dealing with camera guys and our production work and all that kind of thing too. But uh, has a, he has a very strong hand in, in where we go and how we do things. With with us, what we try to do as much as we is to try to put that viewer there with you, like he, he like the viewer feels like he is right at your shoulder. Or she is because we do have a tremendous number of ladies that watch the show as well, and, and including kids. And we we try to put the viewer there with us while at the same time to, to entertain them. Because I learned a long time ago, you, the old thing you catch a whole lot more uh, flies with honey than you can Vinny. And if, if I can get somebody to watch, and of course Blake now has the same philosophy, if we can get them to watch and entertain them while they're people are watching and at the same time teach them something but i'm one of those who has always thought again it's one of those things to where if i can teach somebody through example such as parables during through the you know they're used throughout the bible if we can do something like that where you use basically a parable to where people are watching and we can teach them a little something maybe about particular species that we're hunting or their habitat or what can be done to be improving habitat or even as such as you mentioned with bringing up the uh, the accident thing, any of those things that we can do to where I can and Blake can essentially uh, educate, but without beating people over the head with things. That's kind of our long term goal, and that's something that we'll continue doing. But to always try to have a really good storyline and to have classy music. We'd, our, my goal, and when I initially did this, when I got Blake involved, I said, "Look, I want this to look like." Uh, I said, you remember the, the movie Out of Africa? And I said, forget who people were and what they were. I said, remember the music. you know. And I said, remember the, the storylines. And so with every show that we do, we try to have a, a storyline that we work off of. And then uh, with the editors that we're dealing with, with particularly in our instance with uh, Dustin Blankenship, Dustin has, has come on board strong and understands that music, too, plays such a very, very important role. Because to me, I want to be able to close my eyes while I'm watching the, the, the show, supposedly. And just by the music, you can tell you know, what that there's a grandeur or there is something going on, there's something happening. But uh, again, with very classy type music as opposed to uh, some of the standard music that's in it, a classy music that's not a headbanger right. or something like that. Not that that might not be appropriate sometimes down the way, but they get in the right situation. But for the most part, I really like this, like I said, a very classy type music, not necessarily, and sometimes classical as well, too. So now you've taken how many of the wild sheep? Actually, I've, I've hunted uh, uh, doll sheep and, um, and hunted uh, bone sheep both those years ago. I did not take an animal, so they're really the only of the, the ones that I've been around Rocky Mountain sheep, but the only four species that I've taken is a desert bighorn. That was the one that I was more and more interested in because as a biologist many years ago, working with the uh, Department of Veterinary Pathology under contract with the the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, and then also working for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. I spent time working with the Desert Bighorn Sheep Program uh, here in Texas. So th- there was a special affinity, if you will, of me to the Desert Bighorn. And was that taken in Mexico? It was. It's taken in in Sonora, Mexico. Uh, I'd love to have taken one here in, in the in Texas, but unfortunately, the prices are a little bit higher than what I can afford. And, and uh, oh yeah, they're crazy. You know, but I've had the opportunity. 
they're 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 it's gotten to be very expensive. But you know, we've also had an extremely successful desert bighorn sheep program here in Texas over the years. The, I mean, it goes back into probably the early six, 1960s, late 50s, when the sheep we tra- Texas traded real grand turkeys basically for numerous uh, desert bighorn sheep out of the Kofa range, the King of Arizona range, that were brought in the Black Cat Wildlife Management Area. They were there for a long time and, and increased in number. And then a little bit after that, we started moving them to the uh, Sierra, Dal- Sierra Diablos area, just north of Van Horn and east of El Paso. From those two populations, we have over the years, through trapping and transplanting and relocating, and some very dedicated landowners and very dedicated hunters have really increased that population of desert bighorns all throughout the state, you know, that western part of the state. And about a year or two, I think we go, we shot our 200, 200th ram that was taken. So when you look at the time frame that, over which those sheep were introduced and perpetuated in or relocated to these other areas, that's a considerable number of sheep to have taken. And, and the population just continues to grow and do extremely well. I put in for my uh, tag every year through the Texas Parks and Wildlife Drawing. And uh, it, the neat thing about that tag system, that that drawing system, is it's open. A lot of states will limit it very hard for non-state residents to get them. And that Texas program really does well and allows everybody pretty much the same access through that drawing. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah, like you, I, I put in, I buy several chances every year. So <laughs> I guess fully expecting almost not to be drawn. But I mean, I've had two friends of mine that have been drawn over the years since they started their programs. I, I know it's working because it darn sure worked for them. Well, that's good i i figured it's the least along with hunting licenses that i can do towards wildlife restoration yes sir i agree i mean we've got several really good organizations as you will know of course i'm a big proponent of, of dallas safari club but then you got the wild sheep foundation and you've got the texas bighorn society here in, in uh, texas and, and there are several others you know along those same lines we're kind of looking at rocky mountain elk foundation and look at what wild turkey federation and some of these others have done over the years to, to really make people aware and greatly improve the wildlife situation and the habitat situations for those wildlife through their programs. It's an amazing thing that happens that hunters, you know, they'll say the hunters pay for conservation. They put their money where their mouth is, and, and certainly that's happened here in Texas over the last many years. Your title sponsor for the show is Dallas Safari Club. One yes, thing sir. I think it throws a lot of people is the, the name. They, they don't quite understand. For people that are listening that are not in the state of Texas— why that's a good organization to belong to. The Dallas Sport Club, as far as I'm concerned, I'm often asked how it compares to other organizations, and my statement is always the same. There is no comparison. It's a contrast. Uh, DSC is a worldwide organization. Of course, we have a lot of members here in Texas, but they recently also now started some uh, chapter programs scattered throughout, and there are several of them here in Texas, but also of in Connecticut, and that number keeps adding all the time. The The beauty of DSC, as far as I'm concerned, is they they put their money where their mouth is. There is a very small number of people that actually draw paychecks from DSC, and those are primarily there in the office that administer to a tremendous amount of business and dealing with wildlife and conservation throughout the world. But the vast majority of the, the things that happen, such as the convention, which held usually the first full weekend, four days in, in uh, January, like this year, we had 50, over 52,000 people there, over 1,800 booths, and tremendous shows, so a, a huge gathering. But the money is derived there from the sale of, of auction items each night. It goes to support uh, their mission statement of, of conservation, education, and, and hunter advocacy. And 
again, there are no there are no great administrative costs involved because everything's pretty much done by volunteers who have a huge, huge passion for those three different categories. And and to me, that's certainly one of the reasons to to, to be a member of DSC. And there are, of course, a lot of other reasons as well too. And with the publication that they do and the monthly meetings that are held, not only by the chapters but also they're in Dallas as well too. And then being able to come to the convention and spend time with like-minded people who it's it's like a family, it, it, like a family reunion, if you. Well, when you come to Dallas for the DFC convention, it's just it, it's people that you know and the people that you don't know before you leave there. You probably will. You, it's amazing how many friends you accumulate there just by being at the convention and, and spending a little bit of time just on the floor looking around and, and visiting with folks. That is very true. I'm on a wheeled cart there, so they they even rent the carts, so it makes it very oh yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> Very easy for anybody to get around. And I'll tell you what, just moving up and down, you meet a lot of good people. I was able to watch you, Blake, Keith Warren, Podium talking about whitetail management, raising whitetail. And and that was really interesting to hear. Yes, sir. We have uh, a fair number of uh, seminars going on, but about four or five years ago, uh, initially it was the Ruger stage. What we did is I came up with the idea, let's got several other people involved. So let's put a stage on the floor so that people can come without having to leave the floor proper, you know, to go to some seminar room or somewhere. And and let's let's do a few things on the floor itself at that stage. And as you mentioned, we had uh, Keith and Blake and I, but we also had each year now we have, this was the second time that we did both of these, but we did the uh, Professional Hunters uh, Dallas Safari Club Challenge Cup, which is kind of a... uh, we get eight to ten, usually limited to maybe ten to twelve total participants of professional hunters from around the world, and put them through certain paces in, in, in terms of the competition. And then we also have the uh, rattling forks rattling contest. But then too, uh, we have the International Wildlife Crime Stoppers group that comes in, and, and with the game wardens that are on the Texas law and, and the Maine Northwoods or the Northwoods law, and, and some of those others that come in and entertain. And uh, each year too, we do at least two days where we have kind of meet the legends that include guys like Craig Boddington who you mentioned, uh, Ivan Carter and Jim Shock and Ron Spomer and, and really one or two other guys as well too where it's kind of an open forum where the crowd can ask just about any kind of question that they want to whether it's a personal question or, or a hunting question or anything having to do with guns. And it's been extremely well received and, and each year it just keeps getting better and better with that as well too. And besides all that, it's being up there with those guys, it's a lot of fun. The show itself, and the best way I've ever equated it is like letting a five-year-old loose at uh, Toys R Us. And, you know, <laughs> exactly. <just laughs> stand back, and you're gonna. If you can't find a hunt at the Dallas Safari Club show that catches your interest, you just something's entirely wrong because they've got everything that you could think of there. They do. We've some of the best. Our, as far as I'm sure, we have the best outfitters and uh, PHs from all throughout the world. There's not a species or hardly a country that's not covered. Of course, too. Uh, we have most all the uh, conservation organizations there as well, too, that have a booth. And, uh, you know, guys like everything from Boone and Crockett to the Sheep Foundation to different uh, outfitter type organizations, such as the one in uh, in British Columbia and, and also Alaska and NAFTA and all those same type of organizations from different parts of the world, from Africa and elsewhere. And, and then, too, it's just the finest art you can ever imagine. And, and there's a fair amount of guns. And we have now a, a special section just for we're some of the world's finest guns and and it's just a, a, a compilation of anything if there's anything that you enjoy about the outdoors 
whether it's the, the, the physical part of actually doing it or sitting in your easy chair and reading a book and looking at, at a fantastic painting or a bronze and being dressed in, in your hunting clothes, which is also available there. I mean, it, it covers every aspect of it. And, and then, too, we, we try to involve – DSC is, is also very strong when it comes to having anything to do with youth education. And during uh, it's a four-day show, as you well know, Thursday and Friday, there are a tremendous amount of the school kids that are brought into the floor to have that opportunity. And then usually we do some special little events for them throughout that time when they're there as well, too. So – if it's it, it's one of those shows that's that's there for the family. It's not just the the husband or wife loves to hunt, but for granddad and grandma and and little kids and kids of every age from one from less than one to over a hundred kind of thing. Oh yeah, there's just ungodly amounts of things to see. Uh, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and I'm going to switch gear a little bit because okay. you mentioned about hunting and and you guys like to hunt Africa. It, it got me thinking. There's there's something as we might have talked about Tim. Fallon is the uh, Sam School. Not a lot of, if people aren't familiar with that, it takes place. Uh, well, I'll let you tell a little bit about it because there's some neat things there about the safari hunting that can be done. You're exactly right. Uh, they they do several several different levels of training there on on the FTW through, and it's it's the the website is ftwsam.com is what I think is the new website name. So they offer a dangerous game course. In the dangerous game course, you shoot it with the same rifles that you would hunt dangerous game with, so that you become very familiar with the rifle that you plan on shooting. But it's a Everything from uh, oh my gosh, from shooting at, uh, at an animal, and all of a sudden he takes off running. And you, so then now you got to try to get another bullet into him and try to get him down as quickly as possible. So you you go through a series of drills dealing with shooting the rifle at at a just a round target, then at animal targets, at moving animal targets. They've got a a, a static buffalo and a static uh, elephant target, but they also have a charging elephant target and the charging uh, uh, buffalo target during which you have. A, just that amount of time as that animal starts charging, you get off as many shots as you can. Then they'll also take you in some of the thick brush to where it looks like you're gonna, you're walking along, and all of a sudden there's a buffalo, and then you know that buffalo moves, and there's another, and then there's an elephant. Then also they have, uh, they've, they've just created some new things that I have not yet seen that deal with uh, that Tim was telling me about that deal with charging leopards and charging lions, but they're also set up such that you're sitting in a leopard blind. And uh, this leopard appears, and again, you've got X amount of moments in which to make the shot. It is a truly realistic situation that's close. I've been fortunate to hunt a lot of those animals. It's as, as true as I can could imagine having a course set up as far as training for those kind of situations. Well, and, yeah, it got me thinking as we talked about uh, the Dallas Safari Club show. As you walk through, there's so many vendors to book for any of the big five, just planes games for trips to New Zealand, or anywhere you want to go, there was a, a booking there. And I started thinking, I says, you know, you really don't want to be practicing with your rifle to shoot a leopard in the leopard blind. No. <laughs> you know, and, there's, and there's a big difference between sitting in that leopard blind shooting that leopard versus just sitting at the bench at a range and shooting. And I started thinking, I says, you know, as we talked about Tim Fallon before, I said, that's a great spot to go out and get, get that training and that real, as close to real world experience as you can before you head overseas and have spent all that money, especially as leopard becomes rarer and rarer to hunt. Absolutely. You're exactly right. It, 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 what's one of the things that's interesting is, is I've spent a fair amount of time up at the FTW and I really spent a lot of time visiting with the folks that come in and, 
and in some instances, you'll have a guy that's going or a lady that's they're going on their first African safari, and so they're coming out there to to learn everything they can, and it it includes everything from classroom to actual shooting situations. So it it, it covers a broad spectrum of things. But then also, well, when I've been there, I've, I've met quite a few people who have been to Africa many many times. And yet they come to the FTW for the dangerous game course to, to just kind of to bring everything back. And I mean, the, the cool thing about it is the instructors that are there have also been there. They've been to African English times. They've hunted dangerous games. So, uh, they've got a, a really good feeling that they can impart upon those people, whether they've been in Africa before or not, get them in those right kind of situations and, and to kind of help feel some of that pressure that you might feel when you're sitting in that blind or you're walking up to a, uh, an elephant and all of a sudden, you know, there he is or you, and there's another one or there's a buffalo and, and you've hit this buffalo and oh my gosh, now he's coming to charging at you, you know. So all those things work really well with whether you're a first-timer to go to Africa, and I can't imagine going on a, on a dangerous game hunt and having not having, after having been through their school, of not having gone to the FTW's uh, dangerous game school before you go to Africa. Yeah, I can tell. You know, it, my first time and only time I went to Africa was Plains game. It's a lot different than when you're hunting whitetail that you've grown up around. And that first animal <laughs> I shot at was a zebra. It wasn't the gun that was bad, and it wasn't the bullet that was bad. It was the shooter that was bad. And... <laughs> And, uh, I'm laughing because I've been there. You're right. You know, the first time you look at that going, I'm about to shoot a zebra. And you completely zone out on everything else. Uh, at least that was yep. my opinion. And unfortunately, bad shot. The animal had to pay for it. Luckily enough, we could get on him pretty quick to dispatch him. But I can't think of going after an elephant, a leopard, anything, and not doing something like that. It just seems like such a great insurance policy to invest in. It, it truly is. I mean, you, you'll if you if you'll do so, whoever it might be, when you get to Africa, you'll have a much better appreciation for what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and you'll be so much better prepared for anything that might come be thrown your way. And as we go through, I noticed your partner Blake was out doing some, was it predator hunting recently? Yeah, we just got, actually, Blake and I were both out in uh, far west Texas, just this side of uh, El Paso, a little way. Uh, the last several days, we were there with uh, Greg Simons with Wildlife Systems. Greg's a very dear old friend and uh he's been in the i think he, this is his 30th year of being in the outfitting business here in, in texas and a few other places and does just a fantastic job we we took our convergent uh hunting solution calls out there blake was using the uh, bullet hp which is their uh, electronic call and then i was using the new mouthblown calls that they've come out with and had just absolutely great time I'd, it, the, that ranch that uh, Greg is involved with out there is intensively managing desert mule deer and starting to produce some really good deer. But as they have done so, the predator population out there has increased as well, too. And so we're just trying to help a little bit with uh, hopefully trying to protect, you know, a few farms that might make it, a few extra farms that might make it come this spring when they start dropping. Sure. And that, that convergent hunting solutions, I ran into them at one of the shows here. That bullet system they've got is neat. It is. It, it works off of Bluetooth off your phone. Of course, the, the guys are involved with that. Byron South is the one who kind of came up with the concept. Byron's been around a, for years now and is one of the top predator callers there is in the country, if not in the world. And, and then he's hunted predators across the world as well, too. But, uh, between him and Steven Skaggs, who's one of the guys as well, and, and, a, and a gentleman named Ben Franklin, they came up with uh, this this call concept, and it, of course, the beauty of it is, as far as I'm concerned, that it's it's actually all made, all put together. Everything is done here in Texas, just outside of Fort Worth, just a little way. 
So there's a little bit of extra pride in that, in the fact that uh, here's one of the best calls ever made and possibly the best call ever made. And it's uh, done by old friends of, of, of ours, and it's done here in Texas. It's made in Texas. So all those kind of add up to making us feel all that more special about Houston. Oh, I imagine. Neat system, and even if you don't have it, but you want to mess around with, you're looking at buying it, you can go out and download their app and listen to some of their sounds. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, I think sir. you'll be real impressed with what you hear. Well, I, I know that I can tell you this much. I know that the critters that we have played these things to, they were impressed enough to come <laughs> in. So <laughs> whether I'm impressed or not doesn't make any difference. But boy, when those when those animals do come when you call to them and they come in like they do with that particular call, that is impressive. Tell us a little, for the listeners out there, you do a prolific amount of writing or have you're published across a number of different publications where might people find a lot of the a lot of your writings uh, I, I used to serve on staff with a tremendous number of different magazines across the country and and still do on some of them uh, here I do a, a blog now for North American Hunter that is a fairly regular blog it's it's www.scout.com I do a fair amount of writing, too, for the NRA's Hunter's uh, Leadership Forum. Uh, so those are two places in terms of, of blogs. also do blogs on uh, Hornady Bullet Points and the, those that appear on Dallas Safari Club and Universal Hunter and, oh gosh, probably about uh, Texas Sporting Journal and, and several others. Some of the hard copy stuff I'm doing, very regular, of course, for my regular for uh, Dallas Far Clubs, Game Trails, and then the uh, Texas Sporting Journal. And, and then I do a fair amount of uh, freelance and the publications like uh, Sports Field and Hunter's Path. And gosh, there's probably another 10 or 12 that I do things for pretty much on a regular basis. Okay. Now you were, you did a limited run of your Trailing the Hunter's Moon book not too long ago, didn't you? Yes, sir. We have, uh, of course, I did one back in 204, and then I just recently, this past year, completed another one. It's a, uh, we're just now starting to publicize it quite a bit. So it's, it's a softback copy. It's a limited 2,500 copies. All are numbered and signed and all those kind of things. And I had them for sale at Dallas Fork Club. I'll probably start putting them up for sale again, either on, uh, or where the, with the information come, being found on the DSC Trailing the Hunter's Moon Facebook page. And uh, also, we'll probably have information coming up pretty quick on my, uh, my www.trailerthehuntersmoon.com website as well, too. Okay. I was going to say, I remember I ordered it last year. Yes, sir. If that link was still up, I'd place that out, but I'll have the link to your trailingthehuntersmoon.com website. Yes, sir. We'll start putting it out again there. Um, my daughter was actually helping me with the, the shipping and all that, and her husband works with the Border Patrol, and he just got reassigned up in uh, New York, so for the time being, we're not using that link right now until we get something set up a little bit different. Oh, completely understandable. Well, I tell you what, I appreciate the time you've given and the information in the show notes. I'll have links to everything about you and your websites. Again, I can't thank you enough for your time. Jason, it has been truly my pleasure. I hope we'll be able to do this again sometime in the future. Yes, I'm sure I'll be running into you at the show season this summer and uh, carrying up through and I look forward to hearing and seeing how you guys do upcoming episodes of DSC's Trailing the Hunter's Moon. Well, thank you so very much. You have a great day sir you too thank you come early spring it's getting green fisher on the bed and hear those turkeys gobble it's ringing in my head 
The winterized bass boat, here comes another year. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Oh, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake. Flipping jigs in Carolina rigs From early morning till real late Bonfires on the creek bank Kick back a couple beers Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands. The fever starts to creep. Fill our freezers full of ducks, lots of tender deer. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. So grab your guns, shells, boys. Put on your camouflage Cause we command the outdoors around here We command the outdoors